Okay. And uh, I'm here to, let me see, the, the topic that uh, Pax had given me was uh, the power by which we live. I was talking about uh, the paragraph on, in the big, on page 45, lack of power is our dilemma. And he came up with this other thing, this the power by which we live. And I like that a lot. Uh, so I'm going to um, talk about my experience, strength, and hope um, as it was related to uh, and how I found my power. Uh, my, uh, I'm going to start off by, by saying when I was just before my 16th birthday, my mom died and uh, my father knew about it. He knew about it for a year. She had cancer, and he never told us kids. There was three of us. Nor did he tell his wife, my mom. And uh, when I found out that he knew and he didn't tell us, I was really angry at him. I was also annoyed that it was one week before my 16th birthday, and I got gypped out of a birthday. I mean, really? Here I am talking about me, 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 selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, self-serving, all the stuff it says on page 62, right? That was me. I uh, graduated high school at 17, and I moved out as soon as I could in the middle of the night. Um, I took all my, my clothes and uh, my prized possession, which were couple of hundred 45 rpm records it's the big ones with the big hole in the middle i don't know if I guess some of your old timers know what those 45 rpm records are but i moved out and i moved into a, a room in a house in a nearby town and uh, i didn't speak to my father for the longest time i was angry at him for for not telling us i mean i i guess that's the way it was presented to him from the doctors you know they told him hey don't tell anybody don't even tell her and you can live the best life with her I don't know I think they do it differently now but uh I was broken and I started drinking right around that time I moved out I saw it as freedom uh, I could do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it and we're talking about a higher power I was my higher power I, run, I ran my life, and I was proud of it. Um, I would go to parties, and uh, if you like to go to parties with me, that's fine, but I'm driving. Um, I want to go where I want to go, when I want to go, and I want to leave when I want to leave. It's all about me, my needs. Um, I got married when I was 17, like six months after I moved out. I married a donut shop girl, and uh, I went to college. I became an electronic engineer, and uh, we moved to this apartment uh, that had a drop ceiling, and there were, like, uh, well, it was, I put some lights up there. I. I'm an electronic engineer, so I came up with this circuit that would uh, change according to the music. And I had different frequency bands. I'm not trying to get technical here, but 
the red lights would go on with the bass notes and then the, the orange lights would go on with the next higher notes and green lights, blue lights and yellow lights. I had five different colored lights. So it was like a disco that was just going off. And then I had a black light poster on the wall over here with crinkled up aluminum foil and a black light on the ceiling. So this poster would pulse as the the regular lights would, would flash to the music. And this poster would, you could see God in my living room. I'm convinced of that, you know. And uh, people used to come over my house after the, the bars closed. And I had like a an after hours club. And uh, soon my wife had left. Uh, we got a divorce. And I was living in this apartment by myself. And then I really didn't like being with myself. So uh, there was a gal that moved in with me. Now, my first wife, it was going to be three, if you're going to keep count. My first wife's name was Jane. No, it was <laughs> Judy. Judy. My girlfriend that moved in was Julie. Wife number two is going to be Ginger. And wife number three, my present wife, is Jane. So I have a problem. There's no doubt about that. Okay. Anyway, wife number one moved out. Oh, what's her name? And uh, I had this after-hours club. And uh, it was it was fun. People used to come over late at night, and we got involved with things other than alcohol. And I'm not going to talk about those things. But it seemed like... Every time I was doing those things, I was drinking. Every time I drank, I didn't necessarily do those other things. Um, I found that every time I got in trouble, I was drinking. But every time I drank, I didn't necessarily get in trouble. So drinking, no doubt, was my was my problem. And that's why I qualify for AA. I can qualify in a couple of other programs as well. But um, frankly, I don't, um, I, I just don't do that. I don't like the sobriety that I've seen in these other programs. And I like the sobriety I see in AA. And so that's why I qualify in AA. So now I'm with wife number one and, and the girlfriend moves out. She moves to California because she didn't like the partying that I was doing so much. And uh, after about a month, I really missed her. And so I went out to California to visit and I was living in New York on Long Island and uh, I loved it out there. It was great. Just beautiful. I went out there with um, uh, with just a camera and some money in my pocket and uh, it was terrific. So about a month later, I come back to New York. I pack up all my stuff and I'm going to move out to California and live with her out there. So I go out there and now I'm trying to find a job. And it was around, but it was when all the jobs were taken. There was nothing available. I was trying to work even as a supermarket clerk. Then I would uh, try to work as an engineer. I would try anything and I just couldn't get a job. And my friend moved out. Uh, my friend came to visit me and he said, why don't you come back to New York? And I said, okay, fine. So I came back with him 
and uh, stayed with my parents for a little bit and then moved in with a friend of mine and then got my own apartment again. Um, and then I started working as a as an engineer and for a company that makes submarine trainers and flight simulators and uh, Vietnam broke out and they were having uh, the lottery system in the US and my number was number five but because I was working on uh, these government trainers, you know, the military trainers and everything, I kind of got deferred. So I never had to go to Vietnam. But a couple of my friends went, they didn't come back. Uh, so now uh, I married a, a girl that was uh, the secretary where I work. And uh, like I said, her name was Ginger. We had two kids, Jesse, of course, and Jesse and uh, Brian son and uh i was still partying i still like to to carry on you know and uh it seemed that um you know my wife said i can do a little bit of this but you you just like to party all the time and i can't keep up with you so uh you're gonna have to stop doing this and make a long story short i moved out and i left the kids they were about uh, seven and five, something like that. And uh, I moved out and I moved across. I used to live on Long Island on the South Shore and I moved to the North Shore about 15 miles away. And I remember renting an apartment and the apartment had wall-to-wall -wall carpeting, no furniture. And I remember sitting against the wall on the floor with my knees up against my chest and thinking, how empty I felt. The room was empty. It was a large living room and how empty I felt inside. I found out later on when I got into recovery that uh, Father Martin called that the God hole. You know, I had the God hole inside me. And I didn't realize that. I didn't understand that that's what it was. But I knew I needed, I needed to fill up that hole because I just wasn't comfortable with myself, my own sack of skin. So I went out to pubs every night. Every night, I was in a different pub. Monday night would be one group, Tuesday another group. That's dark night. And Wednesday was another group. Thursday was another group. I never joined anything except the darts because it was a, it was a bar, um, a bar sport. So then uh, I got... I used to get really loaded all the time when I was in the pubs. And I would park my car so it was facing home. So all I would have to do is get in my car and drive. And after a while, things would become recognizable. And I said, oh, yeah, I know where I am, and I can go home. Um, if I parked the wrong way, I might get lost. I might not, not find my way home. It was uh, pretty funny. So now I'm working at a different company and I became a uh, consultant to the military and we were working on 
we were monitoring companies that built trainers for for the military, flight simulators and things like that, um, similar to the other job I had. And I fell in love with the secretary there. And I got married to wife number three, my present wife. We're married to 38 years, I think. She can't hear me, so she won't correct me, but I think it's 38 years. Anyway, uh, so uh, I had to rent the kids on weekends, you know, and uh, I'd go pick them up, and there was my husband-in-law, you know, watching me pick up the kids. And we'd have fun with the kids and then bring them back for the weekend at the end of the weekend. My wife is a vegetarian, and... It was okay in the beginning, but basically, I didn't like the idea that I couldn't drink in the, these vegetarian restaurants. So I would have a couple of pops before we go, and a couple of women came back. But I really didn't like these vegetarian restaurants because I couldn't drink there. We used to go to other restaurants or that did have a bar. We'd go up to the bar and have a drink before dinner, sit down at the table, and then have... Uh, a bottle of wine with the meal and then go back to the bar when we're finished. And I'd get good and snockered, you know. Um, that's the way I like to, to eat. If my bar tab was bigger than my food tab, I knew I had a good time. That's how I judged it. So now we're coming up to 1987. And uh, in 1987, I got really loaded one night. And well, actually, I had a fight with my boss and I stopped at the local pub. And a friend of mine came down and he met me. And we decided to, uh, to get some labels in the next county. See, I used to make wine and you wouldn't know it by now, but. Uh, I used to make a lot of wine. Now, it takes two 42-pound boxes of grapes to make a five-gallon carboy of wine. Carboy is the, the glass jug that sits like on a water cooler, the glug-glug thing. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so we picked grapes one year. Uh, we picked uh, blueberries one year, and we loved it. And we made the blueberry wine and we decided to make grapes, grape wine. And we um, started buying boxes of grapes. And next thing you know, I'm doing more and more and more. You know, if a little bit is the right amount and more is better, too much has got to be perfect, right? I mean, we all can understand that. So here I am, I'm making, um, I had three quarter tons of grapes delivered to my home to make wine uh, that last year in 1987. And uh, I'm gonna go to the next county to get the wine labels that we put on the side of the bottles. And my last name is Karishkat, so it says Karishkat Winery, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm really a winery. Anyway, uh, in the middle of this, I'm in a blackout. I always used to drink to blackout. That's the way I like to drink. I was successful 
in drinking when I went into a blackout. That's just the way I felt. I thought that was the goal. I thought that's where I had to be. So I come home. You remember I told you I had a fight with my boss that day. And so I come home. My wife is already in bed. My dinner is on the table. It's cold. Um, it's about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I go upstairs to the bedroom and she's sound asleep. And I jump on top of her, put my knees on her shoulders, and with my clenched fist, I started beating her. And that's because it started out that I was mad at my boss. Now, I don't even remember doing this, but this is where alcohol will take me. This is how the story was told to me. I woke up in the spare bedroom. I never sleep in the spare bedroom. I woke up at 9 o'clock. I'm never late for work. 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I called my wife. I said, you know, where are you? What's going on? She said, I'm at my job. Don't you know what happened? I said, no, what are you talking about? And she told me what I just told you. And she said, you're going to have to go to court tomorrow because I took out a restraining order on you. Now, I've never been, I never had a restraining order. I'd never been to court for that. I've been to court for a couple of, DUIs, but not, not for that. So I had, I showed up in court, and the judge had three stipulations. Otherwise, I would get six months in jail if I didn't follow these things. Now I've been to jail before on a couple of DUIs. I knew what jail was. I didn't want to have Bubba for a lover, so I'm not interested in going back to jail at all. So. Uh, he tells me the first stipulation was that I can't drink in my home. And I'm saying, okay, I'll just drink in the backyard. You know, no problem. The second stipulation was that uh, I can't come home drunk. I'm saying, okay, well, when I go out, I'll just have two beers. I don't know if you've ever tried the two-beer trick. You know, we don't do well with two beers. By that time, the fuse is lit. The third stipulation was the one that got me. I had to go to counseling at the Alcohol Counseling Center in Glen Cove, where I lived. And uh, that's the one that, that I knew that the, the jig was up. Because I knew that they knew. So I go there and I sit there like this. Okay, teach me how to drink. Tell me what I have to do. And she goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to teach you how to drink. You're just going to show up here every week. And we're going to have group therapy. And we're going to talk about things. But... Um, you will have to go to AA meetings. And if you don't go to an AA meeting, you're going to be in violation. So that's it. how I came to you folks. I was mandated by this alcohol counseling service. So I, she tells me where the meeting was. I said, okay, fine. And it's a beginner's meeting. Meets on Monday night at 6.45. Okay, no problem. So I come back the next week. She goes, oh, great. How was the meeting? You know, I said, oh, you know, I couldn't find it. I don't know if you gave me great directions, but uh, I just couldn't find the meeting. She says, well, here. And she drew me a map exactly where it was. She, I come back the next week. She goes, well, how was the meeting? I said, you know, they locked the door. Maybe it's 630. They locked the door. They just don't let you in. And I was a little late. You know, and she says, that's BS. They don't lock the door. If you don't go to this meeting, you're going to be in violation and you're going to have to do time in jail. Okay, so I'll go to these stupid 
ANA meetings. So I, I suit up and show up. And the first meeting I went to this in the Glenhead group, this town Glenhead, had smoke from about 18 inches off the floor up to the ceiling. It was a low, low ceiling. It was like a church basement. There was so much smoke in the room. You have to go like this to, to see anybody, to walk through it, you know. And then you look around the room and there were nothing but looks like 80 or 90 year olds sitting here. And I went, oh no, this is it. This is like God's waiting room. I'm really in trouble now. A lot of like what you folks look like now, what I must look like, as a matter of fact. Anyway, I sat down there and I I noticed you guys were hugging each other and laughing and, and slapping each other on the back and hugging and kissing. And I wanted that. I thought you did a little something, something in the back room or you went out at the break time, you know, and there's a little funny stuff going around. And uh, only to find out that's not the case. You know, they said, if you want what we have, you got to do what we do. Yeah, okay. Well, that means you got to do 90 and 90. And I'm thinking, well, the way these guys pound down the coffee, they're talking about 90 cups of coffee in 90 minutes. You know, I don't know if I can do that. I'll try, but that's, that's going to be hard. But no, they said 90 meetings in 90 days. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? Well, I got up to, uh, I guess I got up to day... 90, 87, something like that. 87. I didn't have 90 meetings. I wasn't going to have 90 meetings, but I had quite a few meetings. And I'm telling my wife, oh, yeah, I'm really great. It's coming up on my 90, you know, my 90th day. I'm really happy about that. She goes, no, you don't have 90 days. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, don't you remember that guy Giuseppe, the guy who taught me how to make wine? So Giuseppe came over. And you had a half a glass of wine in the backyard. I went, oh, my God, I forgot all that. Now, here is Giuseppe and me in the backyard with that half glass of wine. I don't, I don't know how many people have a picture of their last drink, but there it is. So I reset. I reset from September 27th. 1010. That was October 9th. And when I reset, I really stopped counting days. I just started doing this 24-hour thing you guys were talking about, one day at a time. And I think that was the beginning of allowing God to come in my life. And that's when I started to feel the power. And I, you know, I was looking for God in all the wrong places before, you know, like that country western song. And in reality, I found God in the rooms of AA. You know, and they said, well, God can be anything. It can be a group of drunks. It can be good orderly direction. Because you see, I was born a Catholic. And uh, I claimed at that time that I was a recovering Catholic, you know. And I wanted nothing to do with the Catholic religion. Um, I thought it was very hypocritical where people are praying and uh singing and kneeling and standing and thumping your chest and everything and then you know they they race as they go out of the parking lot to see who can get out of the parking lot before the other guy you know i'm like come on 
what happened to love thy neighbor and all that stuff, you know? So I kind of moved away from the church. But I was always looking for something. And I found it in a group of drunks. Good orderly direction. That works for me. Um, I heard recently the great outdoors is another G.O.D. I don't like that one, too. Remember, I'm still pissed off at my dad for what he had not told us kids uh, way back when. This is like 25 years later. <clears throat> I was drinking for a long time after that. So here I am. Uh, I'm Friends of mine had given me tapes, cassettes. Cassettes are the things, a little plastic thing you take a pen to rewind them, you know. Anyway, cassettes. Some of you new guys don't know what I'm talking about. But I copied cassettes of AA speakers, and I loved them. And I gave the, the originals back to my friends. And now I came up with 100 tapes. I said, man, this is great. I can sell these things, you know. So I started selling them to some of my friends just for the cost of the tape. And uh, I wasn't making a lot of money. And it took me 90 minutes to make a 90-minute tape. I mean, it's forever. A one-to-one, -one, they call it, tape machine. And I went to a store, a recovery shop in a nearby town, and I showed her a list I had of a hundred tapes. And I said, you know, you, I'll sell these to you for $3 a piece. You can sell them for five, $6, whatever you like. And she starts to check them off. And she checked off 30 of them. My eyes are getting bigger. And I went, oh my God, this is great. And then she says, I'll take three of each. I was like, this is great. So next thing you know, I started Glenn K Audio. And now I'm recording uh, conferences, AA conferences in New York, in the local area. And I got laid off at the job. The, uh, we were working for military contracts and that kind of dried up. So, <clears throat> uh, so I started recording more and more and more. I took out my 401k. I, I bought all kinds of equipment and I went on the road, starting recording AA conferences, and I'm loving it. Every weekend, I started recording them more and more. Now we're in all 50 states. Uh, we were blessed to go to Hawaii three times a year for 20 years. I mean, I re did this taping thing for 25 years. I mean, it was just great. I heard some great speakers. On that note, I've taken all of the real good ones that I've had, and I put them on a YouTube channel. It's called Glenn K. AA Speakers. And uh, you can download them for free. Listen to them. There's like 1,500, 2,000 of my best talks up there. Um, and I think God was getting into my life more and more and more. And I, that's where I found the power by which we live. I think of this talk. Um, I started to surrender my will more and more. Um, 
we had a job in Oregon, which is on the other side of the country. I'm living on Long Island in the northwest corner of the U.S. And then we had uh, another job in Houston, which is deep south, right in the middle. And they were about three weeks apart. And I said, you know, why don't we drive instead of flying our stuff out there, shipping the equipment? I mean, it's, it's a big hassle, flying it back and forth and a lot of money why don't we just take a month off my wife was uh, my salesperson and i was the guy who recorded and made copies we were a good team we were together uh, 24 24 hours a day for about 25 years it was pretty interesting how i just reflected on all the trials and tribulations our marriage went through being together all that time. Anyway, so we did the job in Oregon. And then uh, on the way out, oh, my wife had gotten uh, a psychic reading, two of them. And they said, oh, you're going to find your new home. She went, what? It's crazy. Okay, whatever. And uh, as we're driving out on the interstate, we're close to um, Wisconsin, and a friend of mine lives in Wisconsin. And I called her up. Hey, we're on the interstate. We're maybe an hour or two from her. And I just wanted to say hi. She says, well, I'm not living there. I'm living in my other home that we have that's in Montana. I said, oh, that's nice. She goes, yeah, it's right outside the west gate of Yellowstone Park. I said, we're going to Yellowstone. She says, well, why don't you come and stay with us for a couple of days? Now, is it odd or is it God? Right? So we go and we stayed with her and it was just wonderful. We had a great time. Then we go to Oregon to do the recording up there. And uh, we see my two sisters who live in Denver. And we Houston and uh, we're doing the other job there. And then from Houston, we're driving home. And we decide to go through New Orleans. And it's Labor Day weekend. And little did I know that on Labor Day weekend, it's the gay Mardi Gras. So there's a float coming down. They have a parade. And there's floats coming down the road. And the guys are throwing beads to me. The gals are throwing beads to my wife. We had a great time. Uh, we had no idea it was a, the gay Mardi Gras. So now we're coming up on the interstate and uh, the air conditioning in the car breaks. Labor Day weekend, it's still warm out here. And I pull into a town and uh, get the car fixed. And he says, uh, it's gonna be at least a day because he has to evacuate the system and fill it up with Freon or whatever they put in it. I said, okay, no problem. So. We're in the hotel room and I'm looking at the real estate book and I see a five bedroom home with a wraparound porch on five acres of property and the taxes are $500 a year. I was paying $15,000 a year for the same kind of thing on Long Island. I said, it's a no brainer, we're gonna move. That's it. Each page was another home just like that. So now we come home and we, start to go back and forth 
to Tennessee, which is where we are now. And we loved it here. We just love it. The people are so friendly. Nothing like what New York is like. Um, you know, can I carry the bags out to the car for you, sir? Yes, sir. No, sir. I mean, just really nice. And uh, we're looking for property here. And my wife says, oh, this one is perfect. I said, we're not going to look at the very first one. We're not going to take that one. No, we have to keep looking uh, because I, you know, I'm an engineer and everything's got to be in this little pigeonhole. And we got to look for property for two months and then we'll find the, the right one. So we look for two months. And as I'm doing this, I'm recording. I was up in, uh, I think it was in, I was in uh, Boston, and I'm recording a, a woman who I knew really well, and uh, she says she's going on vacation. I said, that's nice. Where are you going? She says, well, we're going to Greenville. Now, Greenville is the town that I live in. That's where we broke down. I went, Greenville? She goes, yeah, Greenville, North Carolina. Now, there are many Greenvilles, but I heard Greenville. So my wife says, you know, is it odd or is it God? She's playing my thing back to me now, right? She said, you better start writing it down. See, I've recorded Joan Charlie maybe 50 plus times. And uh, that's what Joe always says. Is it odd or is it God? And uh, I do that with guys that I sponsor. I tell them to get out a little composition book, a little homework assignment book. Uh, I don't have one here. A little book. And keep it in your pocket. And anytime something strange happens, you say, is it odd or is it God? And you don't have to figure out if it is or not. If it's just a coincidence, that's all right. Just write it down. And when you keep writing these things down and you look back on it and the evidence becomes overwhelming, you realize there's a God in your life. And like we have uh, <clears throat> Allstate Insurance and their motto is, you're in good hands with Allstate. And I pick that up and I say, you know, it's like Allstate. You're with God now. You're with good hands. So, <clears throat> so we finally found this house that we really like and the property that we love. And my wife said, yeah, I know. It's the place that I said we should look at first. So who knew? But uh, we moved here about 10 years ago now, and I love it. I wouldn't move here if I didn't find a, an, a home group first. So I went around to a couple of different AA meetings, and I found a group that I really like. It's called the Lunch Bunch Group. They met every day, which is something that I like. Well, they didn't at the time, but they do now. Um, and uh, my old home group, met every day and I kind of missed my old home group and then we had COVID <clears throat> and COVID kind of knocked us down we were in a uh, municipal building and the town shut down the building due to COVID so I went on Zoom and that day I started a Zoom meeting the lunch bunch group on Zoom I see Pram is here Pram was uh, was one of our chairpersons for a while. He did the meeting for quite a bit. I appreciate, I appreciate Pram, he's a nice guy. 
But uh, we did these meetings online. And we did, uh, I guess, for two years before that building opened up again. And now we have the online lunch bunch and we have the face-to-face -face lunch bunch. And I just love it. And I, on Wednesday, I do the lunch bunch meeting. I chair it. And uh, since I had all the speaker contacts, I usually get circuit speakers to come and speak for an hour, like you guys are doing now for this meeting. But I'm finding that working with others is my biggest connection to God. And I find that it's not a me, me, me program. It's me giving to you program. You know, when I taped Joe and Charlie, we would go on a break and I would play music in the background during the break time. And then at the end of the break, they would come up and sit at the table again. And then if the microphone was off, they would go, lack of power, lack of power. That's our dilemma. And that's the paragraph I want to read. It says, lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how are we going to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Now, I heard that many, many times until somebody said, who does the, the solving of the problem? It's not me. I thought it was me. No. It's find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. So this power is going to solve my problem. No, I missed it. I missed it. So now, when I do this meeting, um, I also, when I work with guys, I give them this thing called the spiritual roadmap. I think I have about five minutes, right? Does that sound right? Somebody? Okay. Good. Thanks. So I do this um, thing called the spiritual roadmap. Uh, yeah, spiritual roadmap. And uh, what it is, is various paragraphs out of the big book. And I say, just read this every day. And it starts out with on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. Now, I heard all these things at a conference some 10 or 15 years prior. And I wrote down all the paragraphs that this guy was talking about. It was an 11-step uh, panel. And I give it to guys, and, and it it's just wonderful. It takes about 40 minutes for me to do a presentation on this. And uh, it takes about five minutes, maybe, to read it every morning. But when I read it, it's kind of an overview of the program. You know, it talks about, uh, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. Then it talks about the, the great fact is that God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And things like that it jumps around a little bit. It's pretty successful. And I, I love going to other meetings and hear people talking about the spiritual roadmap. And I know I never gave it to them. So I know it's people are passing it on. It's just wonderful. I've also done it on Zoom many times. I'm doing another one. Uh, I think it's in October. 
yeah, October 26th, Thursday, October 26th. I'm going to be doing it again. Um, I'll put the information in the chat. But I love watching the, the light bulb go off in their eyes, to watch the, the miracle happen, to see people get sober. You know, that's what it says on page 89, right? To see a, a, a group grow up about you. And it's just amazing how thinking of others has helped me more than anything else. I mean, when I go to a supermarket now, I bring the cart into the supermarket before I even go in. If I see a lady, a little old lady trying to get bags into their car, I said, yeah, here, let me help you with that. And I tell guys to do that and to keep that record. Is it honor? Is it God? Just write it down. When you do something nice for somebody, you get one point. When you do something nice for somebody and you don't tell any, you don't tell them, yeah, you don't tell them that it was you that did it, you get two points. And if you do something nice for somebody and you don't tell anybody, you get three points. The three points are hard to do. But you add up the points for the week. And whatever number that is, you have to get more points the next week. And when we think about others more and more and more, my life gets better. And I'm sure yours will too. So I think that's about it. I'm going to pull the plug. 10-2, I think that's where I'm supposed to be. And I thank you for inviting me. And uh, we'll stick around. Thank you.